630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. All right, so no Nugent Hopkins tomorrow when the Oilers play the Flames. They hope to have him back next Saturday, and that looks to be their next game when they're going to take on the Winnipeg Jets on the 17th. Tomorrow in Calgary, game starts at 8. Face-off show on 630 Chad will commence at 630. In the NHL tonight, in the third period, Capitals up 3-2 on the Sabres. Justin Schultz has a goal in that game, his third of the year. Penguins up 4-2 on the Devils. Rust has his 15th. Rangers leading the Islanders 2-1 early in the second period. Only a minute into the second period. Ryan O'Reilly has just scored for the Blues. They are up 5-1 on the Minnesota Wild. Jaden Schwartz with a couple of goals. He now has four on the season. Later on, it's Arizona at Vegas. Anaheim home to the Avalanche and the Kings will take on the Sharks at the Masters. Justin Rose, an even par 72 today, so he's still 7-under. He still has the lead. Brian Harmon, Will Zatorius, both 6-under par. Jordan Spieth, who shot 68 today. Mark Leishman shot 67 today. They're tied for fourth at 5-under. The top Canadian, doing not bad. Corey Connors, he's tied for 13th at 2-under. He shot 69 today. Also, Mackenzie Hughes, Shot an even par 72. He was also even yesterday. Baseball tonight. It is the Blue Jays taking on the Angels. And it is the uh, Blue Jays having a bit of a tough night. as They trailed that one 7-0. Curling just getting underway. That reminds me, i got to flip the channel here. Canada and Scotland. In a quarterfinal at Men's Worlds in Calgary. And uh, Canada will have Hammer in the first end. They are just starting. They are just starting that game. So we'll keep you updated throughout the final hour here of uh, Insights Sports. That Blue Jays game, by the way, now in the seventh inning. 7 nothing. the Angels leading the Blue Jays. You can get in touch, 780-496-0063. Uh, again, if you would like to uh, observe the Colby Cave celebration of life tomorrow, you can get it through edmontonoilers.com or through Oilers' social media channels. It will start at 11 a.m. Doug has written into the show. Thank you, Doug. He says, hey, Reed, I'm an Oilers fan all the way, but I have to look at the team with an objective eye. Current team is short of scoring winner, number, number three centerman, number four D-man. Doug, I agree with you. Doug also says not happening this year due to the cap, but most of uh, all that not many people are looking at is the team's overall lack of size. As you know, playoff hockey is so much different than regular season hockey. But if you want to make a deep run in the playoffs, you have to have some size. That is from Doug. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, they got a couple of uh, bigger players who aren't always playing that big. Um, They got a couple small guys who try to throw their weight around. They got two incredibly high-scoring players. Yeah, I don't know. If you let me know what you think, if, if ultimately you think the Oilers' downfall in the playoffs is going to be lack of size, I, I'm a little more concerned about just the, the lack of depth, but um, maybe size factors into it a little bit, but I, I don't think they have quite enough skill in the top nine if, if you look at just Toronto and Winnipeg especially, though I think they've matched up pretty good against Winnipeg because I don't think uh, Winnipeg's defense is as good as Toronto's or Montreal's. 
Big Rig Al says the Oilers miss uh, Slater Cuckoo. He adds a lot. Well, Ken Holland did say today that Slater Cuckoo is coming along quicker than expected and could play games before the end of the regular season. So there would be another guy on the left side to possibly factor in. Don't forget, he actually looked pretty good for the Blackhawks last year against the whenever that was in August in the qualifying round against the Oilers. So could be another option on the, on the back end. Rocket says it looks us looks like us old school fans get to have an old Smythe rivalry again. Oilers and Jets love it. See Rocket, now I got to give a history lesson to all the kids about the Smythe division. It's okay. No one under 70 is listening to this show anyway. <laughs> 7804960063 is the number to call or text. Not that I have a problem with that. Uh, Ken Holland spoke today. Now, so the Oilers have some unrestricted free agents. They have the Nuge. They have Larson. They have uh, Barry. And, and they have Mike Smith. And Holland's been asked, so you have these UFAs. Would you consider moving them before Monday just to try to get something? Or are you going to risk having them walk away in the offseason? Here's what he said. Let's say we don't do anything by Monday. I, I, in my mind, we're you know when you when you've got when you've got a team that's a playoff team and you've got some unrestricted free agents. There's always the risk that they um, they're not with you next year, and certainly that's a risk that um, that that I'm, I'm prepared you know I'm prepared to take. I, I think that the goal for 2021 is to try to make the playoffs and then try to go on a playoff run. Uh, and and then I'll deal with the off season in the in the off season. I've had you know some communication with some of the people on our on our uh, uh, unrestricteds on our team. Obviously, hasn't led to any uh, any announcements of uh, of extensions. But I'm pre- that's a risk I'm prepared to take in uh, in trying to go on a playoff run this year, make the playoffs, and go on a playoff run. All right. So, I mean, yeah, he's weighing the risk reward. And I, I think Holland thinks if you trade Nugent Hopkins, for example, you might not be able to replace him. So you might as well keep him and then see what you can get done in the summer. Seven eight zero four nine six zero zero six three. We have Mark on the line. Mark, thanks for calling. Go ahead. Yeah, good evening, Reed. Uh, we've got a question for you here. So as uh, one text you read out there, Euler fan and whatnot, and everybody talks about the cap. It's very frustrating when you never see our management, current or otherwise, think outside the box like other teams do. How many times have you heard Holland say it's got to be dollars in, dollars out in the last few weeks? Lots, right? Yep. So you take the the hated Maple Leafs, give up a seventh-round pick for a $2.5 million contract that is currently on LTIR. So they'll have two and a half million bucks to spend before Monday, and uh, Nash, Raleigh Nash is the player. He'll probably be available in the playoffs as a depth player, and when the cap don't count. Oh uh, yeah, possibly. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So there's two and a half million dollars for a seventh round pick and the cap that you can use for the deadline. And all we ever hear from our management is going to be dollar in and dollar out. Well, there's proof that it's not. Uh, true. Yeah, and I, I don't know if Holland would do something like that or not. I, I guess well, well, it, it, you, it remains to be manager, seen. Wouldn't you? Pardon me. This year, if you were manager, wouldn't you? Like the Oilers want to add a whether it be a left, like the texter just said that you uh, read, but we can't because of the cap space. Everything. Well, we can't because of the cap space. That's all I've heard for weeks. Right, but 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 Riley Nash is not a a, a 
top six player to play oh, we're not devil's advocate to what you're saying. We're talking about the $2.5 million in cap space they'd have available to them at the trade deadline. Forget about Riley Nash. Right, but LTIR is not... The, the way it's been explained to me, Mark, is that it's not a, a get-out-of-jail-free card. No, but right? Like, if if you're... If you're, like... It doesn't mean you can just automatically acquire a player with that amount of money. Like you don't go into LTIR unless you're up against the cap to begin with. Does that does that make sense? So the Oilers are they're already in LTIR. They have been all season. Yes, and I don't know what the rule would be if they acquired a player from another team who was on LTIR. I I, I don't know how much of an impact that would have on their cap situation. I, I really don't know how that would play out. I'd have to ask for further details. Leafs just did. They're in the same situation as us. They're up. That's why they did the deal, the Leafs. They didn't do it for Riley Nash. They did it, so they gave up the seventh round pick. They acquired the player. He's on LTIR for the next four to six weeks till after the season is expired. It's like the old uh, Patrick Kane thing did with Chicago. He, right. He was, oh, yeah. That was... right? And then <laughs> right. once the playoffs started, boom, they at the trade deadline they had 10 million dollars extra in cap space or maybe it was seven at the time i don't know what his contract was then so they could acquire all that money at the trade deadline because he was on ltir till the end of the season first game of the playoffs he's ready to go plus they acquired all the players they could so what toronto just did as i said thinking out the box it's not for riley nash they gave up a seven round pick they acquired the contract and they've got two and a half million dollars now they can spend on monday yeah, well, uh, yeah, we'll see. I, I mean, maybe the Oilers will do something like that. I don't know. I mean, it's it's Holland's second uh, second turn at the de- the deadline, so maybe he w- is going to try something like that. I don't think he would he would he would telegraph it. I I still think it's going to be pretty pretty tough for them to get exact. I mean, to me, the thing they need the most is another scoring forward. I, I the the defense has a hole, but it's it's better than it's been in a long time so I, I still think that's going to be and i'm not arguing with what you're saying i just think it's still we'll we'll see if the leafs do anything else with it right i mean there's no guarantee they're going to do something else with it either i'll phone you my gear or tuesday you guys will be busy monday guarantee no you can phone me monday we'll have time to talk monday it's fine i got a show monday there's no game now they'll spend that money uh, on on a player they'll acquire that's why they did it he didn't do this, and them guys didn't do it. I've heard, I've read articles where they've got capologists, more than one, and one of them was a big wig and won the Vancouver team at one time. Yeah. And, and the, so the LTR they, they get is $2.5 million, but as you know, the $2.5 million now at the trade deadline is worth something like a 4 or $4.5 million contract because of the aggregated part of the season that we're through already, right? Yeah, so I'm just reading here. The Leafs had $1.7 million in space before the deal so what they do now is uh they move they they move goalie Fred so they actually moved Anderson also to LTI yeah that's five million and Nash as well yeah yeah so that they buy themselves so right that that's how they opened up the space it was a little bit from Nash and then they get five million out of Anderson's 5.8 back Yep. That's how they did it. This so, is the Chicago scenario all over again when that chain was on LPS. Uh, yeah, there's, there's, there's a little bit, but I'm just saying factor in what they're doing with Anderson as well because that's the thing. If, if 
the way it was explained to me once, Mark, like if, if the salary cap is, is $10 yep. and I, I, my salary is $7 and yeah. you make, you make two bucks and I put you on a long-term injured reserve. That would be a stupid thing to do because then my new cap is $7, not 10. So the Oilers, so the Leafs got Nash to put them over the cap and then they could put Anderson on LTI and that's how they benefited the savings. That's because, but they weren't in LTI to begin with. The Oilers have been all season. Holland has stated that on numerous times. He said you don't accrue cap space. Like if you've got a million dollars in cap space all year, that accrues up to the deadline, right? Because of the accrued uh, contracts that were already half or past halfway through the season. Yes, but I, I I agree with you. I I just think that they had to get the Nash contract to get yes, closer to the ceiling. LTIR exactly, but we're already in LTIR. So yes, correct. So I, you could have still have got that contract. So I don't know, but I honestly don't know if putting another player on LTIR would buy the Oilers as much space as it bought the the Leafs that's that's what I'm seeing Mark well, might not about I don't know about what the Leafs exact situation was maybe it never got them a whole two and a half million maybe it got them 1.3 million but again 1.3 million is worth double that at the trade deadline because there's only so much left on the contracts right uh, yeah. I, got it. I, I, I got the answer how you can settle it just ask the smartest guy in the room ask Stoffer he'll tell you <laughs> well he's definitely not in this room <laughs> All right. Thank you, Mark. Uh, I appreciate that. Okay. Bye. Yeah, the LTIR. So here, here's what it says. Before, I just found an article here. Before acquiring Riley Nash, the Leafs had approximately $1.7 million in deadline salary cap space. With the acquisition of a contract that can be placed on long-term injured reserve, because the Jackets didn't actually have him on LTIR, the Leafs had to move goalie Freddie Anderson to LTIR in order to have room under the cap. Then they placed Nash on LTI along with Anderson. Uh, so by moving both those guys to LTI, they've opened up approximately $5.8 million in cap space. So again, I, again, Mark, I don't know if, that's, if that directly applies to the Oilers since the Oilers are already in long-term injured reserve. Like I don't think you can just keep acquiring hurt guys and putting them on long-term injured reserve if you're already up against the cap. That That's how I understand it, though I do agree that is a clever move by the Leafs. I just I just don't know if that's directly comparable to the Oilers situation. I, I, I don't think it is from what I've read and what people have told me in the past. But that, that was an interesting comment from Mark for sure. Okay, uh, no, the first end was blanked. Canada and Scotland at uh, quarterfinals at the World. Friday night. Hope you've had a great day. Oilers back at it tomorrow in Calgary. And of course, Masters continuing this weekend. And for a little bit more on the Masters, I'm pleased to welcome back to the show our inside sports stats specialist. It's Michael's Minute with Michael Carsbaker. Hey, Michael, how are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you, Reed? I am doing very well. It's good to catch up with you. And I think for both of us, and obviously for a lot of Canadians, one of our all-time favorite moments is when Mike Weirs won the Masters in 2003, Canadian, and he he was on a roll that year, wasn't he, going into the tournament? He sure was, Reed. He uh, had won two tournaments before the 2003 Masters. He had won the Bob Hope Kleiser Classic, 
And he had also won the Nissan Open at another famous golf course, Riviera. Now, we're left-handed. Uh, what, what, was he the first lefty to, to win the Masters? And didn't it set off a bit of a run or something? Yes, you are correct. Mike Beer was the first left-hander ever to win the Masters. And uh, it did spark a left-handed dominant uh, Masters winners. We had Phil Mickelson who won the 2004, the 2006, and 2010. And then there's long-hitting Bubba Watson, who won the 2012 and 2014 Masters. Okay, yeah, a lot of lefties there over about uh, 10 or 11 years. Pretty cool. Okay, I got to ask you something else, because one of my favorite traditions about the Masters is whoever wins, when they have the champion's dinner at the following Masters, <laughs> the, the previous champ gets to pick the meal. I want to know what Mike Weir served everybody. Well, sure. I Well, let me tell you. For Mike Weir's Champions Dinner selections, he uh, had some very Canadian classics. He had elk. He had wild boar. He had Arctic, Arctic char, which is a fish. And, of course, like any good Canadian, he had Canadian beer. There it is. Well, oh, that sounds delicious, actually. Okay. Well, I love that walk down memory lane. That was such a memorable moment for, for Mike Weir. And Tiger put the jacket on him, right? He did. That was also a very cool moment. Right on. Michael, this was a cool Michael's Minute. Thank you for this. We'll talk to you again soon. Yeah, talk, yeah, yeah thanks, Brady. Talk to you again soon. Right on. That is Michael's Minute with Michael Carsmaker, our stat specialist on Inside Sports. Always love talking to him and love thinking about Mike Weir claiming the green jacket back in 2003. Went to a playoff with Len Matisse. Weir made a lot of clutch putts along the way. Canada and Scotland. Botcher has blanked the first two ends with the hammer. So scoreless in the third at the quarterfinal at the men's world. We'll keep you updated on that one. NHL tonight. My goodness. St. Louis leading Minnesota 7-1 late in the second period. Rangers beat the Islanders 4-1. Penguins knock off the Devils 6-4. Capitals are up 4-2 on the Sabres late in the third. Coyotes and Golden Knights still to come as are the Avalanche and the Ducks and the Kings and the Sharks. Talk a little bit more about the Masters here in a couple of minutes with Richard Zokel. Justin Rose has the lead, minus seven. Brian Harmon, Will Zatorius, six under. Spieth and Leishman, five under. Whole bunch of guys at four under. We got Corey Connors, the Canadian tied for 13th at two under par. And the Blue Jays in action tonight as well. I uh, actually flipped off that uh, channel because it was not a close game. So I got to quickly update the web here. Still 7-0 for the Angels as uh, as they are leading the Jays in the eighth. Oilers tomorrow up against the Calgary Flames. Uh, and that one is a 6-30 face-off show here on 6-30. Shade game starts at 8. That, that was a good call for Mark. And Mark, I'm not I'm not trying to be argumentative with you. I just, I just want to make sure... And, I, and I've asked somebody, and I'm not sure if I'm going to hear back from them tonight. Because a cap person once said to me, long-term injured reserve is not a get-out-of-jail-free card. So if the Oilers were to acquire 
injured players and put them on long-term injured reserve, well, they would have to have some contracts moving out or, or draft picks. So what the Leafs did was they were 1.7 under the cap. They got Nash, which put them over the cap, and then they put Freddie Anderson and Nash on long-term injured reserve. So they didn't get the full total of those two guys, but they got the uh, amount that had put them over. So uh, I understand what you're saying, and definitely there are ways to get creative, and maybe Ken Holland's going to get creative somehow. I don't know. But... There, there are there are rules surrounding long-term injured reserve. I, I, I think I, I think Mark, in general, what you're saying is accurate. I'm not sure if it's if it's 100% accurate that you can do it the way you're saying. And I'm not I'm not saying this to argue with you or put you down or say that I know more than you because I might not. I just know that there there are some details about this that have been explained to me in the past. So that's all I'm saying. And uh, I don't know if the Oilers will do something uh, like that or not. Okay, he uh, used to play on the PGA, played in the Masters, one of Canada's top golfers of all time, Richard Zokel, checking in on Inside Sports. Richard, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Reed. Good to be back with you discussing uh, and uh, talking about uh, what we love most, golf. Or um, I, I should say what I love talking about most. <laughs> well, I, I love talking about it, and sometimes I love playing it. That's my relationship with golf. Probably you a lot have of people a good, are like You that. have a good perspective because sometimes the game is, is, go, is, is good for all of us, and sometimes it's not. It, it's, it, it can be an evil game, but uh, as I'm sure I told you, I, you know, I, I got a few lessons three or four years ago and uh i call myself a, a horrible golfer and people say well but reed didn't you get some lessons i said yes i was terrible and i've improved to horrible so what well, it did pay off it's progress <laughs> progress is progress i get it when, when uh, t- uh take me back to a to, to a young richard zokel did you have i don't know if you were a little kid or a teenager that that light bulb moment where you're like, Oh, I actually actually am a good golfer. I can do this. Well, you know, it was, um, I was a good athlete played. I was first team all-star picture in, in Kersdale little league in Vancouver and played soccer. I never played hockey. It was in, when I was a kid, we played soccer in the winter time and then golf. And, and then I, I, I was very much attracted to golf because it was so individual. I liked it. That, I, that it was a strong attraction. And then when uh, I was asked to play an intercollegiate, comp, or sorry, an interclub competition, Marine drive against uh, Capilano as, is juniors. And, uh, and I, we were at Capilano playing and it just appealed to me. I guess the pressure, and 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 I liked it. I performed relatively good for me at the time. And I says, you know what? I like this stuff. So uh, I, I I was drawn to it quickly. Yeah. Well, you better enjoy the pressure, right? <laughs> it's, it's well, you have you know it's it's well you you don't really yeah you have to learn how to deal with it. But that still doesn't make you a good player. I can still recall the emotional trauma I had in the. 1974 BC junior at Colchina. There was a backup. Now get this, uh, you know, there's a backup on the toughest hole. All OB all down the right side. There's three groups because this it's taken each group to play so long. So when it got to my turn, my turn, I pumped four balls straight out of bounds on the tee. Shoot 94. Like I remember shooting 94 in competition, junior competition, and uh, and 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 the trauma still sticks with me to the, this day. But it's 
how you react to those situations that I just wasn't going to let it, either it's going to make you or break you. And I guess that was a moment that, uh, you know, if I wasn't going to be run off by doing that, then uh, perhaps my attitude was okay to play this game. That's awesome. That's incredible. You, you still remember that. Okay. Well, speaking of, of breaking or breaking things, uh, Siwoo Kim today, uh, yep. decided to end his relationship with his putter. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, did you ever break a club accidentally on purpose, mishap mid mid round in an event? First of all, no, not no. Similar to that, I um, I've never broken a club where I couldn't use it, but um, I had in the PGA Championship in 1984 at Shoal Creek, my caddy lost my putter in the middle of the round. And I and 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 I, and I, you know what had happened was um, I had, I had, was in a bunker and and he's waiting for me to hit the shot out of the bunker and he's holding the rake and, and my putter because I'm going to get it up so I I guess I make the bunker shot I hole it and he was so excited he you know, he, he didn't have to hand me the putter because I, I had already hold it and he dropped my putter in the rough right beside the bag and then he went in to rake the bunker and the grass was so long it overcovered it it covered the putter lying in the grass and he was excited picked up the bag and left my putter in the grass so we get to the next hole and he can't find the putter and i'm going what do you mean you can't find the putter we used it the what happened and and so I didn't have the putter didn't have an answer and i remember i made a birdie i used my seven iron and I, I, I putted with my seven iron. I don't know why I used the seven iron, but I did. And then the next hole, the volunteer picked up my putter and handed it to me, handed it back to me. So, um, you know, I got to use the putter up to, after um, after we found it. So, but that's the only time uh, in the middle of a round where I didn't have a golf club that I needed. See, that's case. That interests me that you picked the seven iron because Kim today, I think, putted with his three wood. And you usually, yep. that's the old golf and maybe it's an old wives tale. It's like, well, if you don't have a putter, just putt with your driver because it's kind of kind of flat. Does it like, but it's longer, right? So how, right. Did, he adjust that, to, how did he so, adjust to putt with that today? So what I did was, so I remember I had like a, a probably a, I hit the, the, the birdie that I made using my seven iron. I, I, I hit it pretty close to the hole, like about eight feet. So I stood toward the hole and hooded the, hooded the seven, the seven iron. So it was square and it got me about a foot closer to the hole. And I went, Oh man, I can see this. And I went bang. I popped it went right in the middle of the hole. So I, it just intuitively, when you're trying to make a decision in that moment, um, seven iron felt like the club to you. So I went with it and it worked. Richard Zokel joining us at Inside Sports, talking golf, uh, talking the Masters, which has been going on for the last couple of days. Obviously, Justin Rose doing pretty well and some other uh, big names moving up a, a little bit today. Uh, Augusta National, I, I kind of was, and, and I know, you know, some some good scores for sure, yeah. but so, some higher scores. And I even remember thinking in November when Dustin Johnson wins and the scores are pretty low, I'm thinking... Yeah. It's they're not going to like this at Augusta. It's it's going to be tough in five True. months, and I think it is that way. Yes, and well, at that time of the year, there's a lot more temperatures are cooler. There's a lot more precipitation. The whole golf course is going to play a lot softer. And and they were talking like Phil was talking about his second shot last November on this uh, on the second hole. The ball actually plugged right into where it landed. So that's as soft as you get. Then it becomes like dart. So it's all an air game. And uh, But the way Augusta National plays when it's playing its best, and it's playing its best right now, is when it's playing fast and firm. We're hearing that term all this week. 
So in order for you to perform well, you have to not only know your 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 the the game that your ball is flying in the air, but you also know that the greens and the and the fairways are like concrete. So where it lands and where it ends up is significantly different, and and, and it and it adjusts to trajectory and so forth. So it really fits a, a higher skilled player rather than just an air game uh, type of a player. So it's 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 it, it's not necessarily the course will pay, play shorter, but it's also playing a lot more difficult. So th- the one thing that is often said about Augusta is, well, until you're there, and obviously you have been there, you, you can't understand the hills and the elevation yeah. changes. So give me yeah. that sense of the, those elevation changes yeah. and how it affects stances and shots. It happens to everyone, whether you're a player or a spectator. As soon as you walk on that property, you come out right at the clubhouse and where the clubhouse, 18th green, first tee, and that's the top of the hill. And, and you, when, when you pick your mouth off, off the ground because you're in shock that you see how steep the 18th fairway is to climb. And then you get a sense that the low point of the golf course is down by the 11th green. And, and around Ray's Creek, and it's some 200 feet below the, the top of the golf course. And you can't pick that up. The TV is only two-dimensional, and it doesn't pick up those. So that's kind of the first shock that hits everyone, whether you're a contestant or, or, or a spectator at Augusta National. And then the second thing that blows your mind is you look down at the grass, and you see how perfect it is, and you, you've got to test it to see if it's artificial because it looks just it looks too perfect. You can't. You, and then you touch it. You go, yeah, that's real. And then you're amazed again to another level. <laughs> I, I love that. Yeah, it, it always looks great for sure. So tell me about because one of my favorite holes to watch is the twelfth, and not, yeah. that's just not at the Masters. That's of any hole I get I get to see on TV. But tell me what that view actually looks like because there was a great they have a great camera angle and i was watching yesterday sort of elevated and behind the green a little bit and i'm thinking as as a golfer all i would see is a stream and four bunkers yeah (laughs) you know like the green looks so small well it is and it's very precise because what it takes you to hit that you know the from a tee shot on 12 to get to that front left uh pin like hit it close that shot, if, it, if the pin's on the right side, you push it to the right of the bunker, that shot's in the water. So, you know, that exact same shot's in the water if, you, if you're to the right of the bunker. So the, the depth of the green, we watched Bryson DeChambeau fly it into the, into the flower bed way over the green yesterday on 12. And, 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 and depending on the wind, uh, because the wind comes out, and I remember Bu- Byron Nelson telling me because when I missed the cut and when I played in in the Masters in 93 I made a seven on the 12th hole I hit two balls in the water and I was right on the cut line I'm trying to make the cut and I first one goes in the water second one goes in the water and I was really confounded on how to play it because you you look over you're on the 12th you look over to the 11th green and the and the flag's blowing this way and then you look over the 12th green and the flags blow in the other way and and you're and then you look up in the trees and it's going in a different direction and it just confuses the hell out of you and so but byron told me i said what do you do what do you do when you're there because you got to settle down and pick pick uh make a decision 
He says, watch just watch the Spanish moss hanging from the pine tree off the right of uh, the 13th, and that's the true wind. And then you play a right to left shot. And if you if you do your your uh, assessment of which way the wind's going and then hit a right to left shot, a draw for a right-handed shot, then it'll penetrate better. Um, if you hit a fade, then it has a tendency to get caught in the wind and that's when everyone gets in trouble, particularly when the pin is on the right side of the green. Yeah. What do you think of uh, DeChambeau? I mean, obviously he won a major last year. They were showing, and I saw somebody tweeted out that video of him on the range either Tuesday or Wednesday, and his shoulder turn was just like it, in, insane. And then, of course, some yeah. people are saying, he can't, he'll be hurt in five years. His back can't, can't take that. What, what do you think of his... Well, stuff? you know, as far as that, there's a lot of rational thinking that thinks he will hurt himself, but uh, we'll have to wait and see. He thinks, you know, he's a smart guy. Um, before the U.S. Open last year, before he won, I, I really didn't have a lot of faith in what he was doing. When he went into Wingfoot last year, I thought he was going to give his lunch handed to him, and he didn't. And, you know, and given his power, he's extremely accurate for the power that he has. And, 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 and nobody is giving him credit. And I think the real where credit is due is with his putting. He putted remarkably well at the U.S. Open. The reason why he won the U.S. Open at Wingfoot last year is because of how well he putted. And I don't think people give him enough credit. And I think if he putts well and given his power, he will dominate. And uh, he's really turned me around how to do it. I think he's an anomaly. I don't think everyone else can do what he's doing and would do that. So I don't think we're going to see a lot. of. We'll see one or two people do that, but I don't think they're going to be as successful as he is. So he's made a believer out of me, and um, I think he's great for the game. And uh, we're going to watch him. You know, so in yesterday, he was totally confounded, this whole when he talked about he had to be kind of, um, you know, his science wasn't working for him yesterday, but he shot 500 a day. He, he, so he's made up that ground. Good for him. So, you know, it's not, it's not surprising if he, if he plays really well. And it's also not surprising if he gets frustrated from time to time. Yeah. Uh, just a couple more for you. Uh, Canadians. I mean, obviously more than, more than ever uh, playing at, at a high level. Yeah. I mean, Connors, Hughes, those that uh, the top Canadian guys for you or anybody, whether this weekend or rest of the season, any Canadians that you'd say, hey, keep an eye on? Yeah, I think both of those guys. I think uh, they have really stood out. Corey Connor, Connors is, 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 has proven himself. He played well last uh, at Augusta last November, and he's proving to himself that every time he gets into contention, that he is a real cool customer. And it's all, and you know me, Reed, it's all, it's, all, it's all about your mindset, how comfortable you feel to let your talents out. And he's really ascending very nicely. Same with Mackenzie Hughes. You know, given where he has come from, these guys have dug deep in the trenches and they fought their way out. And never before have we had so many Canadians that, that have the um, expertise to compete in in the Masters or any other major championship for that matter with the uh, with the collective group that we ha we have uh, and Canadian golf is has never been better and I think we're just going to continue to uh, uh, attract more and more Canadians because the belief system is uh, growing like crazy. And Richard, uh, before I let you go, uh, you're still a Predator Rich, how's life? And let people know how they can uh, find out more if they want to visit. Sure, uh, Predator Ridge is fantastic. Uh, you know, 
this COVID situation has just caused a boon, not only for golf, but a boon for real estate. A lot of people are, are relocating to the Okanagan in particular Predator Ridge, and we've run out of inventory. We're, we're, we're getting into our, new, our next subdivision, but uh, if you're looking for a great community where you're safe, and you're golfing and tennis and pickleball and hiking and swimming and skating. We, we, we opened up a skating rink uh, this past winter. So we're a, a full uh, amenities community and um, it's just, uh, it serves everyone who lives here very nicely. Richard, always uh, love the perspective and uh, love some of the memories from your career as well. Really appreciate it. Hope we can talk again soon, man. Anytime, Reed. Always good to talk with you. That is uh, Richard Zokel. Good stuff. And his caddy lost his putter. <laughs> that was crazy. This texter says, who would have thought that talking about golf could be so interesting? You need to have him on again. Well, we usually have Richard on a couple of times a year. Golf is always interesting to talk about. Come on. All right, fourth end, Canada won Scotland, nothing quarterfinal at Worlds uh, at the Masters. By the way, Dustin Johnson, Brooks Kepka, Rory McIlroy. Among those missing the cut, Justin Rose has a one-shot lead. He is seven under after two rounds. Blues up 7-1 on the wild after two periods. Rangers beat the Islanders 4-1. Penguins knock off the Devils 6-4. The Capitals get by the Sabres 4-3. Jacob Verana gets the goal that turns out to be the game winner. Three games still to come. Golden Knights, Coyotes, Ducks and Avs, Kings and Sharks. And the Blue Jays are down 7-1 in the ninth to the Angels. No Ryan Nugent Hopkins. Uh, they're hoping he can come back next Saturday against the Jets. The Oilers play tomorrow in Calgary. 6.30 face-off show here on 6.30, Chad. Game at 8. And then, yeah, likely uh, no official announcement from the NHL yet, but you've heard Tippett and Holland say that they expect to have no games next week, Monday and Wednesday against the Canucks. Those are going to be postponed, and it doesn't sound like there will be any restructuring of the schedule to get the Oilers a game next week. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad. 911 on a new night Thursday March 14th on Global stream on Stack TV